Indeed. Friends, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you've been with us over the past few months, you know that ever since June we have been working our way through the book of 1 Peter. And today we end our, our study in 1 Peter. We are looking at the last passage in 1 Peter. It's been a joy uh, to, to work through this Bible, to, to work through this book of the Bible together, and I hope it's been as much of a blessing for all of you as it has been for me. Uh, here now, the word of the Lord will be starting at 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, as does, my son, does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so ends the reading of God's Word. And what do we know about God's Word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Indeed, our God, Your Word is eternal, and it is good. And You communicate to us clearly through it even through the mouth of a sinful and weak and foolish preacher. And so we ask that you would do that today, that you would teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and instruct us for your glory's sake. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So I'm going to break the rules just a bit. I'm going to steal an illustration from one of my seminary professors, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. Although I, uh, I suppose if you're going to steal an illustration, you should probably declare that you're stealing it, and it doesn't hurt if it's Dr. Ferguson. Um, anyhow, uh, several years ago, I listened to a sermon series that he preached through the book of Ephesians, and as you can imagine, it was a wonderful series. Uh, but for all the several sermons that I heard, there was, there was one point that he made, one illustration that he made that stuck with me all these years, and that was from... Uh, when he was preaching through Ephesians 6. And if you remember that passage, that is where he, uh, Paul talks about the armor of God. And in that particular passage, uh, Paul says something to the effect of, put on the armor of God so that uh, after having done all, you would stand firm. You would stand firm. After everything that you've done, you'd stand firm. And Dr. Ferguson paused at that moment and he, he said, you know, as a, as a younger man... You know, I read this passage, and all, Peter, or all Paul says is that at the end of it all, that I've stood firm. And he said, that seems like such a pathetic and such a weak goal to attain to. 
That, you know, he's not saying something like, make great advancements for the, for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, that, I, that I would be sanctified completely and purely. That, that I have this intimate relationship with the Lord at the end of it all. Which, you know, a lot of that may be true. But at the end of it, Paul said, stand firm. But Dr. Ferguson said, well, now having many more years under his belt, he realized just in the course of his own experience how incredibly difficult that simple thing is. That at times standing firm to the end seems like it could be an unbearable, uh, an unbearable goal save for the grace of God. And, and maybe, you've, maybe you've felt that same thing, you know, I think in my, my life, I, I've certainly felt that. It's, it's, and it's not just, the, not just the disappointments of life, you know, the disappointments of situations or people or things like that. Th- those things you expect after a while because we live in a fallen world. It's, and it's not just the ongoing sin struggles in my heart that you wrestle with because, you know, you, you grow accustomed to that as well and you're hoping for... Uh, that eternity where all those things are put to death, but it's, it's also trying to untangle just your own reactions and your own anger uh, at yourself, at the situations, and, and trying to digest what, why, and, 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 and am I making things worse by my own reaction, or, or even worse, am I hurting other people in the context of that? And and not only that, it's, it's sometimes the timing of things. I mean, you can have a Peace and delight, you know, the Lord gives you a respite where things are joyous. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's this an avalanche of pain that seems unbearable to come, come out of. Like you're, you're driving down the road of life and all of a sudden somebody T-bones you and you're just paralyzed by the pain. And just standing firm seems unbearable. And friends, I think as we come to the end of this book of 1 Peter, I think Peter experienced some of those same things. And I think that may be exactly why he wrote the whole book of 1 Peter. I mean, that's how he summarizes this. We talked about this when we talked back in June. At the very beginning, he he says this in verse 12. He says, I've written briefly, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. That is the point of what he's been talking about as we've talked about these trials that we're faced with. And, and as we come to this final passage, I think Peter summarizes and he, he says that Christ Himself equips us to stand firm in the grace of Christ. And he reminds us one last time that God is faithful, that God is faithful to preserve us to the end so that we can stand firm in it. Now, if you remember the context of this book, you know, from the very beginning, Peter has said that he's writing to us, to elect exiles, those who are both elect in Jesus Christ, called out of the world, but also exiles. We're in the midst of this world that never really feels like home. And while we're, while we're in this exile, that, that, that we can expect trials, that, that the Lord is giving us trials because the tested genuineness of our faith is precious. He said, remember, he said it was more valuable than gold. More valuable than gold. And so, he, so he, Peter says that you can expect, you shouldn't be surprised as the trials that come. In fact, he goes even further. He says, you should rejoice 
at the trials that come because it's, the Lord is testing our faith, but also we rejoice because we're, we're being counted, for, we're kind of, kind of you know, part of the body of Christ. We're being united to Christ in these things. And, and so Peter says, you know, expect these things and, and submit in humility. Submit in humility to the authorities that he's put in place. Walk in righteousness, submit to his law, but also submit to the Lord's hand, his mighty hand, even in the midst of how he brings about these trials in our lives. And uh, he calls us to continue to, to, to live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, willingly suffering for good if necessary. And as we come to this last passage, I think he, what, what he gives us is he gives us two final warnings. Two final warnings. Warnings of things that could prevent us from being able to stand firm in our faith. And he exhorts us in ways that we can, in fact, stand, in, stand up and persevere to the end. And the first warning that he gives us is the pride in our own hearts. The first warning is the pride in our own hearts. He starts in verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, you may remember last week when we were talking about uh, how the Lord has called elders to be shepherds of the flock, that Peter ended with this passage where he says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. And he picks up this next paragraph and he says, well, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So the implication seems obviously clear. If God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, then obviously we ought to humble ourselves before the Lord. But why in the world would he put that here at this point in his passage? Why would he warn us about humility? Well, he starts talking about anxieties. And I think that's where we we start to see something. So he says, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, this seems like something that could severely get in the way of standing firm in our faith. Our anxieties, our cares, they can weigh us down. They can, they, they can take, take our eye off the hope that we have they can, they can cause us to fret about our circumstances. You remember what Jesus said about anxieties. Uh, he said, he was very clear, he said, fear not. You're, you know, don't worry about these things. Your Father knows that you need these things that you might worry about. But he even went a step further. If you remember the parable of the sower, uh, it was the, 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 so, the seed that grew up with thorns, the, the, the anxieties of this life, and this deceitfulness of wealth, those were the, the thorns that were crowding out the plant, causing it to be unfruitful and to eventually die. These are the anxieties that I think Peter has in mind. And, and they, these, are, these are just desires that we have. Good things often, sometimes bad things, but often good things that we desire that just become so important to us that be, they become idols of our hearts. Uh, and for instance, we, we want to be financially secure. That's a, that's a good thing, but we're anxious because we're not, we're not ultimately in control, are we? You know, our, our employer could let us go. Our empl employer could do poorly. Our customers could, 
cut off all work from us, the stock market could crash. You know, we, want, we want to have kids that are godly, but turns out Lord gave them their own heart and soul of their own, and we can minister to them, we can speak into their lives, and yet they're going to go the way that they go in their own lives. Or we want, we want our own, we want, we want to have intimate, solid marriages. Those are, that's a good thing. And yet communication is so hard. And so often it's like you have two people going in opposite directions with different priorities that it causes anxiety, it causes cares, and it takes our eyes and fixes them, lowers them from the hope that we have and fixes them on the, the struggles that are in our lives. And so we, we grasp for these things and we become anxious and consumed with them. And we start to lose, we start to be afraid that we're going to lose the things that we want or we're never going to get the things that we want. We start to doubt the goodness and the power of God, don't we? And so Peter says, well, humble yourselves, therefore, casting your anxieties on him before he, because he cares for you. And if you think about it, so he connects humility with anxiety, or rather he connects humility with trust connects humility with trust, which makes sense because we get anxious because we want something and we know we're not in control. And so we get anxious. And when we humble ourselves, we allow God to assume that rightful place and we let His priorities dictate what we ought to get. We, let, we, we get so focused on the results. Are we going to get the results that we want? But when we humble ourselves, we allow the Lord to determine the results and trust that He is, he is good. I mean, when, when, if you think about it, you know, every, every time we get anxious, it's a question of pride. You, know, you get anxious about public speaking and standing in front. What are, you, what are you anxious about? You're anxious that people are going to think you look dumb or you think you're going to look silly. You don't know what you're going to talk about. That's pride, my friends. Why would anybody be thinking about whether you look dumb or silly? And what difference does it make if you're called to be in front of people, whether people think that you're dumb or silly? You know what? If you're anxious about a relationship, you're afraid about that, that rejection. Like you don't want to be treated as invaluable. And so you, you, you get anxious about it and you want it. But it, it, you know, you, you, you know, you're anxious about your kids because you want to look like that good and perfect parent. Like you have shepherded these children to the promised land, as though Christ is not even part of this equation. Or whatever your anxiety is, there's an element of pride because you want something where you're probably putting yourself in the place of the glory that the Lord deserves. But when we, when we humble ourselves, we allow the Lord's will to work itself out. We allow the Lord's priorities to work themselves out. And we trust, as he says, he says trusting that he cares for you. Humble yourself because he cares for you, trusting that it's not just this arbitrary decision, it's something that he's doing out of his care and concern for you. And in and, and humility, we can move towards obedience, and we can entrust the results to the Lord. You can say with humility, my, first, or my worst fears in the midst of this circumstance may be realized, and yet I will still trust the Lord, I will still walk forward in faith. And that, that, friends, is what faith is. It is a humble reliance on the grace of God. And it's believing in the surety of the things that He has promised 
to you, promised to you. And it's standing firm on that grace even when you're terrified that you are going to lose everything that is dear to you. Even when you do lose everything that is dear to you. And in the midst of that, Peter still extends hope. It's not just this you know, trust, but there's, there's this hope. He says, he says, humble yourselves so at the proper time He will exalt you. The proper time He will exalt you. Friends, we, in, in humility, we bring ourselves low. We, and we submit to the Lord's, the Lord's leading. But He promises that at the proper time, at the proper time, He will exalt us. And He reminds us that He is not both able and willing to do this. You know, when, we, when we fear, when we're anxious, we doubt either the goodness of God or the power of God. Either He can't do anything about it or He just doesn't care. God says just the opposite. He says, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty, mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you because He cares for you. He both is able to exalt you at the proper time, but He also cares for you and He's doing these things for your good. He is mighty to save and He cares for you. So, uh, so let me ask you are, you, are you weighed down with the anxieties of your life? Is, are your anxieties causing you to, to waver in your faith? Or are you trusting in the goodness of your God? Are you trusting in His power to deliver you exactly in a way that is good for you? He will do it. It may not look like you expect, and it may not be in the time that you want, but He will do it. Well, the second warning that Peter gives is that we have an active adversary that is seeking to tear us down in our faith. He says this in verse 8. He says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, this is awfully remarkable, I think, because when we humble ourselves... When we humble ourselves, like Peter has just commanded us to do, we make ourselves vulnerable. And when we're anxious, we feel vulnerable. We recognize that we're not in control. But when we are humbling ourselves, we are yielding control to another. We are saying, I'm letting go of this perception of control, and I'm letting someone else, I'm, I'm going to make myself vulnerable. And now Peter says, well, hold on just a second, just so you're aware, it's worse than you think. You're more vulnerable than you expect. It's like he says, you know, you need to, you need to not, don't be like a drunken man. Be, be alert. Be watchful because you have an active adversary that is seeking to destroy you, that is seeking to tear down your faith. It's not, things are not necessarily random or arbitrary. There is a mission of destruction against your very soul. Peter says, that, yes, that your fears are correct. There is for, for believers, a boogeyman. His name is the devil, and he is seeking to devour you. He is seeking to devour you. And so Peter's exhortation, his first exhortation is, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Be aware. Look out for this. So what, what, can, what, what can we watch for? I mean, this is an unseen entity. We don't, we don't see a, a devil person coming around trying to attack us. How... how 
How, how ought we be watchful in it? Well, I think Scripture gives us a number of different pictures of the, the devil's schemes, the way that he attacks the people of God. And, and, and I would argue that these are what they are. First, he is, he is a liar. He is the father of lies. And we see this from the very beginning. In the garden, if you remember, the serpent said to Eve, has God really said that? You're not going to really die and he starts to lie, and he, he, he creates doubt. He, and he does this to Jesus. You know, Jesus has just been baptized, and the Lord from heaven speaks and says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus is brought into the desert to be tempted. And the first thing Satan says to him is, well, if you're really the Son of God, why don't you prove it? Why don't you prove it? And he does the same thing to us. He's, he causes causes doubt doesn't he god doesn't really care god doesn't really care god has got bigger problems on his on his mind he's got to rule the universe he doesn't care about your life these and this stuff that happens this that's that's terrifying you know those trials in your life absolutely terrifying it's it's chaos god chaos is out of control god god well god probably doesn't really care and even if he cared, it's, it's obvious he doesn't have power to do anything about it. And you know what? You're not really that productive in the kingdom. There, don't, wor- don't worry about a devil trying to attack you. That's, that's some kind of mythology. You're, you're not worth attacking. Why would, it, why would I even bother? <laughs> it's not worth it. And you know that trial that you feel? It's, you know, nobody else feels that. You're all by yourself. You're on an island. You don't, don't bother talking to anybody about it because they're going to look at you like you're crazy. You're going to be crazy. And so he gives us plausible truths to our anxious hearts. And we listen. We're tempted to believe them. And our faith is shaken that God will really do what he says. So he's a liar. The second is that he's a, he's a tempter. He hones in on our particular sin struggles. He's not omniscient, but I think it's possible. Scripture seems clear that he seems to know something about us, and he knows where to push. He knows where our struggles are. Maybe he sees the idols in our hearts. I don't, I don't know. And he, he heightens the, our, our awareness at times. He makes things sweeter. You know, you're, you're given to lust, and your eyes wander to that person in the office or in the church, and you say... Maybe I'd, maybe I'd let my eyes wander a little longer. Or maybe, maybe you have this love of money and you just can't stop thinking about that, that house that you've been thinking about buying. Or, you know, we really need a new car. Or, man, I can't wait till my bank account hits this magical number and then, then I'll feel this sense of security. Or maybe you have this, you're, you're given to an unrighteous anger and just everything seems to be unjust that you just have to fix right here and right now. He heightens that sense in our lives. And, and He tempts us. And we give in. We feel the shame of that. And our faith is shaken that God will indeed preserve us to the end. And Satan is also the accuser. After he lies to us, and then he tempts us to sin, then he turns around and he confronts us with the truth of our sinfulness. Man, you are one awful person. 
You just gave in to all those sins. I can't believe you. Do, you. do you remember all the ways that you treated your kids when they were young? They are probably going to be scarred for life. And these sin struggles that you have, man, you keep having them. Every single t- time you come to worship, you're confessing the same things. It's going to go on forever. How could God... Is God really doing anything in your heart? And so he, he whispers in our ears and He accuses us and it sticks to the core and our faith is shaken that God, God would even want to do anything. He wouldn't want to have anything to do with us. And that he, how could He possibly care when we feel the weight of that sin? And, and the means that, 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 that the devil carries out His work is remarkable. I mean, it's just, you're just sitting there in, you're driving down the road and your mind is working and you're accusing, you're, you're hearing the lies and you're fighting that in your own soul, it feels like. Or, you know, it comes from, from the mouth of friends or brothers and sisters in Christ and you hear things and it's like, ugh, yeah. Or even worse yet, you hear it coming out of your own mouth directed at yourself or your friends or your loved ones. And you know that the, the evil one has appropriated your heart and your lips to do his bidding and to cause havoc on the people of God. And we might be driven to terror in the midst of this. I think we ought to have a healthy fear of this. I think that's why Peter puts it in there. And we might be driven to despair. And then Jesus steps in to the situation. And to the liar, He says, I am the truth. You better believe that I love you. I laid down my life. I shed my blood to purchase you for my very own. Yes, I love you. All my promises are yes and amen. And to the one who is struggling with the temptation. He says, I am your peace. I am your sanctification. The work that I have begun, I will see to completion. I, by my Spirit, am working in you to will and to work according to my good pleasure. And to to the one who is accused, he says, like he said through the mouth of the prophet Zechariah, he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Have I not clothed him with my righteousness? I see him as pure and right. This is my child. He is in my kingdom. You back away. I have declared him righteous in my sight. And he declares himself to be the shepherd that says he will protect his flock from the mouth of the lion. And he is the rock of refuge who will keep us safe from the hand of the evil one. And there there ought to be Comfort, friends, in knowing that we have an adversary who is a personality because we have a victor who is stronger than he that will defeat him at the end. He is our champion and our deliverer. And so with that in mind, Peter says, he says, yes, you have this enemy, this adversary, this roaring lion who is trying to devour you, but resist him. Resist him. And that's, that's fascinating because what he's saying is that Christ by His Spirit dwells in us. And by the power of our God, we can resist the attacks of the evil one. We can stand firm to the end even though we are assaulted 
sometimes on every side. And here he, he, he tells us how. First, he says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Throughout the world. He says you can resist because you're not alone. You're not alone. This is an adversary whom we can know because Scripture reveals his wiles and we experience it. And we can talk about it. And we can encourage one another. And we can pray for one another. We can stand side by side in it. We can bring that comfort by the power of the Holy Spirit. I actually experienced this myself recently. Uh, a, I experienced a um, particular trial that uh, I, f- I think was fairly unique to me. And... Um, is palpable uh, how often we feel alone in our struggle. You even try to talk to some of your friends about it, and you can tell that they want to help, but they don't, they don't necessarily know how. And it's very difficult. How do, you, how do you move forward with that? How do you, do you grieve alone? You know, the Lord says he puts people in your lives. And then all of a sudden, that's exactly what happened. The, the Lord put someone in my life that had a unique understanding of the pain that I was feeling that only he could. And just the simple words of saying, I know exactly what you're going through better than you, better than you might realize. And it was, a, it was a balm to my soul. It was comfort. It was, it was a respite from the Lord that he would... He would speak it to my life and he would bring comfort in a way that only he could, only that was clearly the hand of the Lord. And, and that's what he calls each one of us to, friends. And as your pastor, let, let me just encourage you, when somebody is in intense pain and suffering, it'll be expressed in all sorts of different ways. It could be expressed in tears. It could be expressed in anger. It could be expressed in just a withdrawal tread lightly. Sometimes, sometimes words don't help if we don't really know. But being there and praying for them and treading lightly, it's not the time to try to correct them in their theology. It's not the time to try to say, well, this trial, this is, you know, this is the Lord's will. What do you want? Do you want somebody to turn on the Lord and say, well, <laughs> this intense pain that I am feeling is from the Lord. I don't want any part of that. No, you want them to feel the love and the compassion of our tender Savior. Never underestimate the power of destruction of the words that can come out of your mouth. But never underestimate the healing balm of the words of true compassion of a brother and sister in Christ. So that's one way. uh, Through standing with one another. But secondly... Uh, just a hope that it's, it's just for a moment. He says, he says, and after you have suffered for a little while, after you've suffered for a little while, you know, when, when time is going, when we're having fun, time flies. When you are in the midst of suffering, time stands still, and it will never end. You will never get out of that, that avalanche. But Peter speaks into that and says, stand firm. It's not forever. This is... You have hope on the other side of this trial. It, we're going to get there. 
That's going to be at the proper time by the hand of the Lord. Stand firm. We can, we can stand firm if we know it's not forever. If this is not an eternal pain. And it's not, friends. We have blessedness upon blessedness and glory beyond glory for all eternity. It's just standing firm until that point. And, and when we can resist knowing that just as we have an active adversary, we have an active Savior who is at work to redeem us and to protect us. See what he says? He says, After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God looks on us with love and compassion. He sees the pain and the trial. He's, he is shepherding us through it. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is with us. And He is He's careful to guard us to the end. I don't know if you remember this, but back in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, David, before he became king, when he, right before the Goliath story, you know, David was there and he was unhappy with the way things were going. And Saul's like, well, can you fight this giant? And, and David said this. He said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of its mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and I struck him and killed him. And beloved, just as David did, so did his son, so does his son Jesus Christ, your Savior. He is our good shepherd who will grab the lion by the, by the face, by the beard, and will strike him and kill him. He is the one who is guarding you by his powerful hand. He is preserving you to the end. He is the shepherd that laid down his life so that he could see you forever and ever in his glorious kingdom. He will deliver you. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you forever and ever. And friends, he will do this for his own glory's sake. See what he says. He says, after a while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory, his eternal glory, you are his elect exiles. You have been called out of the world to be his own special possession. You were chosen before the foundation of the world that this God would send his son to lay down his life to purchase you for his very own forever and ever. And his name is stuck to you. His name is stuck to this act. And if he does not preserve you to the end, then his work is all for naught. And he will not give his glory to another. He has called you to his eternal glory. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Lord Jesus is his name. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who has purchased you for his glory. And he will himself see you to the heavenly realm. So friends, stand firm in your faith, knowing that your God tenderly, tenderly cares for you. Stand firm knowing that you are being protected by the mighty hand of the Almighty God. Stand firm knowing that you have been put into a community of believers to, so to love one another, to comfort one another, to stand side by side in this battle on this weary road that we travel. Stand firm knowing that God Himself will see you safely to His glorious kingdom. To Him be the dominion and the glory forever and ever. Let's pray, beloved. Oh God, You are glorious and majestic. And, 
and we stand in awe of Your work. How could You possibly care for us? Who are we? And yet You so, you so sincerely do. You show it again and again. Thank You, Father. Thank You, our Lord Jesus. Please protect us. Help us to never lose sight of Your love and Your protecting care. Help us to never be instruments of the evil one, but only instruments of Your grace. We pray this by the power of Your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen.